At Woodside Bible Church, we gather each week to pursue God by studying His Word together. We invite you to join us for our series, Overflow, from Him, through us, for all, as we explore Paul's letter to the Church of Corinth. Together, we'll focus our attention on the gifts of God and see that we're not meant to keep His blessings to ourselves, but to live as vessels of His abounding grace. Well, it's great to worship with you today. I'm so glad that you guys are here. And I want to begin by talking about what happens when we begin to search the internet. And what we find are countless lists of what you and I should be and or could be doing with our finances. Whether you look at The Motley Fool or Market Watch or Money Magazine, whatever it is that you go to as your primary source of investment advice... They're all going to offer a bit of similarity. They're all going to have similar suggestions for you and for me and for what we should do with our money. Now, well, you know, I did a little research, and what I find is the most helpful article comes from uh, Forbes, actually. It's titled, The Seven Best Investments to Make in 2021. So, we're going to begin with number one. Here we go. Build your cash reserves. Build your cash reserves. Now, certainly the federal government is helping us out with that a little bit. Uh, and so we're going to begin by building our cash reserves. The second one, stocks. Still the way to go, says Jeff Rose of Forbes. Number three is real estate. Real estate is what you want to put your resources and invest in in this season of time. Pay down or pay off your debt. Seems pretty basic and fundamental, doesn't it? Number five is launch or accelerate your retirement savings plan. So either get started or kick it up a notch. Number six, make 2021 the year you begin investing in yourself. So get some training, get, uh, get that next degree, whatever that might be, invest in yourself. And the final one, number seven, he suggests invest in a side business. Many of us would say get a side hustle, okay? So those are the top seven uh, investment tips for 2021 according to Forbes magazine. Now, certainly all of those are good pieces of financial advice. Some of those might resonate with us a little bit more. Some of those might say that's exactly what I'm doing. That's exactly what I am investing in. Yet there was something missing from that list. A pretty significant piece for any financial advice that you're going to receive. I might even argue it's the best piece of financial advice. The word giving. Giving. That's right, giving is in fact a wise investment. Now before any, I go any further, I just uh, want you to know I did in, in fact declare, I did stand on the stage with a microphone attached to my head and declare that giving away money is a good investment strategy. Some of you are probably thinking it's about time for me to leave. <laughs> Not time to get up. I don't know what that guy's thinking, but uh, he seems a little strange. I want you to know what I just said to you is not strange at all. It might seem ridiculous, and yet it isn't. 
It isn't because what we're going to be looking at today is a portion of God's word that speaks to that significant truth that I just shared, that giving is a significant and perhaps the best investment strategy that you and I can participate in. Giving. We're going to turn to a portion of God's word in just a moment to see what that is based on. But before we do, let's pray together. God, we pause. We pause to acknowledge who you are, that you are the giver of good things. Everything we have ultimately comes from you. You gave us the skills to have a career. You gave us the opportunity to perhaps get an education. You gave us the opportunity to go in and get that big job. All of those things are from your hand, are because of your goodness. So God, as we wrestle with this significant topic, and I know that it is a a touchy one for many people, God, would you take that away right now? Through the power of your spirit, would you give us clarity of thought to what your word teaches us today? The truth that's found in its pages. In order for us to do that, God, we need eyes to see this truth. We need ears to hear this truth and humble, genuine hearts before you that are submitted to your leading in our lives. And so we ask for all of these things in the power of Jesus. Amen. Well, church, this is the second week of our new sermon series titled Overflow, From Him, Through Us, To All. As I mentioned last week, I really like that title because what begins with God, it starts there, it comes to God's people, and then it is ultimately given so that we might be a blessing to all. That means that you and me, if you are in Christ today, what God has given you, you are to be using for others' benefit to be a blessing to other people. Now, that's not just an idea that I came up with that I thought, hey, that'd be a good thing to share with our congregation. That's not entirely true because what I just said to you has roots in the Old Testament. God's people were chosen specifically for the purpose of blessing others. It's a theme that God established in a unique covenantal relationship with the people of Israel. So let's pause right here before we go any further and ask, how are we doing with that? I mean, collectively, the the big C church, if you will, how are we doing with that culturally speaking? Let's bring it a little closer to home. How are we, Woodside Bible Church, in the metro Detroit area, how are we doing with that? How about a little closer? How about White Lake? How are we doing with that idea of blessing? Let's bring it a little closer yet. How are you doing with that? You're called by God through faith in Jesus Christ. You are called to be a blessing. Now, I'm guessing that as we kind of did that funnel thing and got right down to you and to me, it got a little bit uncomfortable, didn't it? It's like, whoa. Let's ask some questions. Not just keep it in the rhetorical, kind of keep it in the abstract. Let's ask some real hard-hitting questions. Are your neighbors glad you live there? They should be. 
Are your coworkers glad that you're on staff? They should be. Is the community around you thankful that you're there? Believer, they should be. They should be. Now today we're going to be looking at another segment of Paul's second letter to the church in Corinth. And he's going to give us some some significant words to consider in this regard. Now remember, Paul was a guy who established this church in Corinth. They knew him well. They were familiar with his work. They were familiar with his character. They were familiar with his gifting. And they were familiar with his flaws, too. Because the truth is, while many of us are gifted, we also have some flaws, don't we? Please tell me you have some flaws. Thank you, because I certainly do. So they were aware of Paul. They were aware of what he could do. They were aware of some of the things that maybe he wasn't strong in. And, uh, and he planted this church nevertheless and, and turned it over and away it went. But the problem is, is they ran into some struggles. Because ultimately they got to the point where they questioned the Apostle Paul's authority. They struggled with him a little bit. You see, some in the Corinthian church thought that others could speak better. Some in the Corinthian church, they thought, well, others are more wealthy. So clearly, if you have the gift of speaking and you have that kind of financial undergirding, clearly that's the guy that we should listen to, not Paul. Yet as we looked at last week, the Apostle Paul writes both 1st and 2nd Corinthians to this group of people to address these issues head on. And what he does is he establishes a solid and firm foundation that is rooted solely upon Jesus Christ. And it is from that relationship, from that relationship that you and I have in Christ, that the Corinthians have in Christ, that we are called to give for the cause of Christ. That is why it is so very important and significant. So let's grab our Bibles and, uh, and turn there together. Now we're going to be focusing today on uh, verses 7 through 9, but I do want to read the first six verses again just so we understand completely the context of what it is that we're talking about. So again, Paul is writing to the church in Corinth, and uh, we're looking at page uh, 967 in our church Bibles, and again, chapter 8 of 2 Corinthians. Picking it up at verse 1, and then we're really going to dig in to verses 7 through 9. Here we go. We want you to know, brothers, about the grace of God that has been given among the churches of Macedonia. For in a severe test of affliction, their abundance of joy and their extreme poverty have overflowed in a wealth of generosity on their part. For they gave according to their means, as I can testify, and they gave beyond their means of their own accord, begging us earnestly for the favor of taking part in the relief of the saints. Remember, Paul is speaking about what's happening at this other church to the Corinthians, okay? Because he wants them to act in a particular way. He wants to tell the story. So accordingly, we urge Titus that as he had started, so he should complete among you this act of grace. Now, we get to 
the text we're digging into more closely today, verse 7. But as you excel in everything, he's encouraging them, as you excel in everything, in faith, in speech, in knowledge, in all earnestness, and in our love for you, see that you excel in this act of grace also. I say this not as a command, but to prove by the earnestness of others that your love also is genuine. For you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, and that though he was rich, yet for your sake he became poor, so that you, by his poverty, so that you, by his poverty, might become rich. That's where we're going to stop. You see, the middle of chapter 8, Paul finds the Corinthian church to be doing a lot of things well. They've been gifted in some significant ways, and he calls them to a specific place. And he says, I want you to grow in the grace of God in these areas. And he lists some of those. Now, I want to take a quick aside for just a moment. What I find so intriguing of what Paul's speaking of here in his second letter is often rarely addressed in terms of the framework of what it means to be a disciple of Christ today. In the framework of our healthy faith journey. You hear me talk about that phrase a lot, that we are on a faith journey. And for us to have a healthy, vibrant faith journey, typically we would say, read your Bible. Get in the Word. We would also encourage you to do life together in community. We shouldn't be going it alone. We should be doing life together with other believers. Then we would also encourage you to have this vibrant prayer life where you communicate with your Heavenly Father. And we would also encourage you to serve, to step up where there are needs within the context of the church and serve our kids, serve our students, serve our special needs community. Whatever it might be, those are the things that we typically talk about. Now, I want to say this. All of those things are critical. All of those things are foundational to a vibrant, active faith in Jesus Christ, to one that is growing. But right here, 2 Corinthians chapter 8, Paul adds another important piece to the mix. What he does is he says giving is also important. You see, Paul wants the Corinthian believers and all of us who profess Christ to recognize how the overflow of God's grace in our lives should in fact lead to a blessing for others by our generosity. That's what it should lead to. Now, to see how this happens, let's dig a little bit deeper in verse 7. Verse 7. But as you excel in everything, he's speaking a word of encouragement. He knows them and he's honoring them and he says, hey, you guys excel in a lot of these things. You excel in faith. You excel in speech. You excel in knowledge. You've got those things down. In all earnestness and our love for you, see that you excel in this also. What Paul's doing is he's continuing the flow of what we just looked at in verses 1 through 6. Remember, that's where he's highlighted God's grace should be the foundation of all of our giving. God's grace. 
Now here in verse 7, what he does is he reminds believers of all the different ways that they have experienced the grace of God through what they've received. For it is by God's goodness that they are excelling in a very important trio of things or triad of things, faith and speech and knowledge. Here's why that's important. This means that the Corinthian believers excelled in communicating the message of salvation. They were excelling in faith. They were believers. They were excelling in the way that they communicated their faith and in the knowledge of what they understood. God had blessed them with the skill to proclaim the spiritual knowledge that they believed in their hearts. The good news of Jesus Christ. That's how they were gifted. And then Paul mentions two other words, earnestness and love. I think he does this because perhaps the Corinthian believers didn't seem to have that solid grasp of what many of us know. That nobody really cares what you know until they know that you care. Nobody cares what you know, how smart you are, all the facts and the figures and the details, unless they, they know that you care. That's what Paul is emphasizing here. Because no matter how hard we try to communicate the truth, it is worthless without love. Without love. And so his entire list, faith and speech and knowledge and earnestness and love, they are all examples pointing to the undergirding truth of what he's getting the Corinthians and you and I to understand, and that is generosity and giving. Giving. See, Paul wants the Corinthian church and all believers to understand that when we excel in giving, we actually display God's grace. When you and I excel in giving, we display God's grace. When we live open-handed, when we live generous, giving lives, we model it to other people. Now, some of you might be thinking, well, that sounds pretty religious. I mean, of course you're going to say that, Pastor, because you're a pastor and you got this Bible right here and, and that's what you're supposed to say. I get that it probably does sound a little religious. But the kind of generosity that Paul is challenging all believers with today comes from the overflow of the amazing grace that you and I have received. It's the overflow of that. We give out of the abundance of what we did not earn. You and I give out of that abundance. And friends, that is the essence of grace. Unmerited favor. Unmerited favor. Through Jesus Christ, you and I have received kindness and generosity. And those are things that we did not deserve. And yet it was given to you. It was given to me. Given to you by a holy and righteous God who loved you so much that he sent his son to die for you. 
that Jesus came to our world and died on a cross so that you and I might have life. Friends, he didn't do anything to earn that love. Fact is, you couldn't. That's why it's grace. That's why when we talk about Christ and what he has showered upon you in his love, in his sacrificial example of dying on the cross, that shows us the ultimate picture of grace. And then you and I are called to model this grace to our family, to our friends, to our classmates, to our coworkers. And when we excel in giving out of the overflow of what we have experienced, awesome things happen. Now, some of you might be saying, well, Pastor, I get that. That sounds really, really good. It sounds like that's straight from the scriptures. How do I do that? I mean, practically speaking, when I walk out the doors here and I start my Monday, I get into the middle of my week and the grind of the week, how do I do that? One thing, prioritize people over possessions. Put people over possessions. Here's what that looks like. Give freely of your time to invest in people. Give freely of your time to invest in people. Give freely of your talent to serve people. Give freely of your treasure to bless people. There's your time, there's your talent, and there's your treasure. They are all used. They're all given to you for you to give away. It's actually a beautiful picture. Now, let's continue on in our text. Let's look at verse 8. 2 Corinthians chapter 8, verse 8. I say this not as a command, but to prove by the earnestness of others that your love also is genuine. Paul continues to teach the Corinthians and he continues to teach you and me and all who read this text what happens when we actually live generous giving lives. And here what he does is he's encouraging God's church to show genuine love through giving. Not because we're obligated, not because we feel guilty, but instead out of the deep abiding love that we have experienced ourselves. If you are in Christ today, you have this resource within you. Paul speaks to the Corinthians and he says, you have it in you. That's not the issue. You have the love. The issue is doing something with it. Love is not just something you think about. Love is, is something we put into action. It's something that causes us to act and to do something. And when we do, that proves the authenticity of our love. When we act accordingly. I think Pastor Kent Hughes captures this truth so incredibly well. Here's what he writes. He says, money is so entwined with our soul, our handling of money defines our affections, the things that you and I truly treasure. So if we hold on to money and don't give it away, we're not communicating what we love is that person. What we're communicating is we love ourselves more. 
We love our stuff more. So to excel in giving, for you and I to excel in giving, we should display genuine love. See, believers display genuine love when we excel in giving. I'll I'll twist that phrase a little bit. Not by holding on to it, not by spending it on ourselves, but instead by giving it away. So we're going to take a few minutes right here in the middle of the service for some personal application. We're going to pause right here. Now, I'm not going to be passing out a journal or anything like that, but this is that time in the service where if you're not taking notes, I want to encourage you to do so. If you have a mobile device and you have a note-taking app, I want you to go ahead and get that out right now. Because what we're going to do is I'm going to give you a bit of a self-assessment. And you're not going to be able to do an honest self-assessment in this kind of 30-second window here in the middle of the sermon on a Sunday morning. And what I want you to do is wrestle with this to consider these truths or these questions throughout the week. I want you to reflect on what I'm about to ask you. Three questions to examine the love that you're modeling with your resources. Here's the question. First one, what do I love? What do I love? This will be shown by how and what we spend our money and our time on. What do I love? Possessions, things, causes, people. What do I love? Second question. What gets the bulk of my resources? What gets the bulk of my resources? I just mentioned a framework a little bit ago, time, talent, and treasures. What gets the bulk of those in my life? What gets my time? God's gifted each of us with talents. How do I use those? Where's my money going? And then the third question is a bit of an assessment that sort of circles back on the other two. Do my answers above reflect truly the deepest longings of my heart? The deepest convictions that I have within my soul? Do they match up? Church, these are questions that we should consider. Maybe even wrestle with in the days ahead. Because we display genuine love when we excel in giving. Now, let's move on. Let's look at that last verse in today's passage that we've been looking at together. 2 Corinthians chapter 8, verse 9. For you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ. That though he was rich, yet for your sake he became poor, so that you, by his poverty, might become rich. Church, what has just happened here is the apostle has just provided the Corinthians and you and me the ultimate reason why we should seek to excel in our giving. Jesus left the perfect unity that he had with the Father and with the Spirit. He left that perfection and that richness to enter our world. 
In another letter that he wrote, he explains the significance of this. Philippians chapter 2. Jesus, who, though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, but he emptied himself by taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men, and being found in human form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to death, even death on a cross. Jesus entered our sin-stained, poverty-stricken world for sinners like you and like me that we might become rich. That you and I might experience something so significant that we would be called rich. Now, I want you to know this richness that he's talking about is not having the biggest house in the subdivision. It's not having the newest boat in the lake. It's not having the biggest portfolio, the one that invested in Apple many years ago. That's not what he's talking about here. Jesus came to offer his people richness in a different way. Richness in the way of eternal life. You see, Jesus came for the poor, like you. He came for the poor, like me. He came that we might experience the richness of his glory. You see, when you and I repent of our sin, when we're walking in sin and we make that that turn, that 180 degree turn to walk the other direction, to believe upon the Lord Jesus Christ, that's when we experience the beginning of eternal life. And it's from that abundance, the abundance of what you and I have in Christ, that we can turn our attention from our material possessions in this world to the spiritual riches of the next. And this shows us the way that we can excel in giving when we display the gospel. You and I display the truth of the gospel when we excel in giving. Now, what was true in the first century church in Corinth is true in the 21st century church right here in Oakland County. When we are committed to excelling in our giving, that's when the gospel advances in our region. That's when the gospel advances in our world. Now, I want you to know, I can tell you this firsthand. This last year has shown us many things. But one thing, is that through COVID, we were able to establish a relief fund. And many of you gave to that relief fund. What Woodside did with the the monies that you gave was we sought to be a blessing to medical workers, to police departments, to those who were serving on the front lines amidst the pandemic. To love them and to show them the love of Christ. There were care packages, there were meals, there were small gifts of encouragement, there were handwritten letters and a whole bunch of other stuff. Because of your generous giving, the truth of the gospel went forward. You sacrificed to proclaim the gospel and to be a blessing to others. It's so good. 
Now, if you happen to be with us for the first time or maybe the second time or you're relatively new here, I want to apologize that I'm up here talking about money in such an intentional way. Candidly, it's the first, service, first sermon series we've preached on money in, in quite some time. But what I will not apologize for For all who call Woodside home, for those of you who are visiting with us, what I will not apologize for is the reason that money is so important. It's so important because it has the potential to display God's amazing grace. It has the potential to practice the love of Christ in your life and in your world. And it has the potential to reveal a much greater reality than any of the best investment strategies can offer. Because giving, excelling in giving helps people see and experience the goodness of our God. Amen. Thank you for joining us as we study God's Word together. We would love to hear how God is moving in your heart and get you connected into the Woodside Bible Church family. Head to woodsidebible.org connect to introduce yourself today.